Gracious Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, you're so good to us. We thank you for the assurance of your love for us. We ask for forgiveness when we ever do doubt your love. Help us to continually keep our eyes focused on you, to claim your promises that you've given us. Be with us in our service today. I pray that you would speak through me today and give us a message that, that you have prepared for us. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. How much are you worth? Jim was talking this morning about depression. Do you know that one in three people suffer from depression? One in three people. That's, that's a, quite a statistic. And a lot of times, it, it can have something to do with how we feel we are valued, how how worthless or worthy we we sometimes feel. As I was studying for my sermon this morning, I, uh, this uh, parable kind of kind of sticks out to me this morning. Anyway, it's a short parable, Matthew thirteen forty five and forty six, as Jimmy read very well already. Again, the kingdom of heaven. Is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, in verse, just go back one verse in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Okay, so in the parable just prior to uh, 45 and 46, it's talking about a treasure that is hidden in a field. Now, back in ancient times when, I don't even, I don't know if they had banks back then, but if they did have banks, some people didn't trust them apparently because this is how they would store their money. People would dig a hole, stick their money in the ground and cover it back up. And guess what? If they died, what happened to the money? It's still there. Yeah, it's still there, and, and and they're gone. So if the one who inherits the land does not know anything about the money that's buried there, and he sells it to someone else, and they find it, well, guess, guess whose money that's going to be? Well, it's, it's going to be the guy who found the money. And oftentimes... This would happen. Somebody would just be going through his field and, and just maybe walking along and whoop. What in the world was that? So he's digging up this weird looking rock that's here. That doesn't really look like a rock. So I'm going to dig this up and what in the world? Look at all this money I've just found. Or this could even happen with somebody who didn't own the field that they were walking through. And, and so what would he do? He would buy the field. And he would, that money would be his. Jesus is talking about how the treasure is the kingdom of heaven. The treasure is Christ. The one who stumbles upon the treasure is someone who is not necessarily seeking out truth, but stumbles across it, right? This kind of reminds me of the, the man, I wish I could tell you his name. He was a Baptist preacher. He started a school, and he said, I'll admit it, that 
Well, he, he was the pastor. He said, I, I really didn't want anybody to, any new members to come to my church. I just really wasn't worried about growth. He had a church school and he said all his pastor friends knew about this too. So at his school, there were some Adventists who sent their children to his school. He, he knew that there was something a little bit different about these Adventists and, and especially on Friday night, you know, when it's basketball time. Basketball games are going on, and and uh, one of his star players happened to be a son of the, one of the Adventist families. So uh, Friday evening, about 30 minutes or however long before sundown, here this Adventist father would come and take his son, and they would walk out the door. So he knew there was something different about Adventists. He, he was somewhat impressed by them. Um, but one day, he, he became friends with his father, actually, and one day, uh, this, this father came to him, and, and he brought a book with him by the name of The Ten Commandments, Twice Removed. Is anybody here read that book? Oh, it's a good book. Gotta read that book. It's a good book. So anyway, this Adventist father, he comes to, uh, this pastor who's also the principal of the school, and he says, you know, I've got this book. I was wondering because he's got his he's got his doctorate degree, right, in, in theology. He said, I was wondering. You know, I'm not sure. You know, maybe I'm wrong about something. So I was wondering if you could just take this book and read it and tell me if you can find something wrong with it. And this this pastor, he's thinking, man, here's my chance. I'm going to show this guy he's wrong. And I'm right. I'm going to show them why we need to be keeping sun and, and all this stuff. I'm going to show them this is my chance. So he read the book. Couldn't stop reading it. And then he read it again. And then he took it to his wife and asked her to read it. She had it read in one evening. And she was like, yeah, I don't know why we haven't been doing this all along. So he prays about it some more. And he reads it again. He can't find anything wrong with it. Then he goes to his wife and he says, you know what? We've been wrong this whole time. We need to be keeping the Sabbath. So right then, right then and there, they decided they were going to become Sabbath keepers and clean meat eaters. Well, guess what? Well, what's my congregation going to think about this? So he's he's praying about it. He's he's getting ready because he knows he's going to have to tell him. He's going to have to tell him what's what's going on. So he uh, finally musters up the the confidence to get up and and uh, tell his congregation what's going on. And guess what? His whole congregation, other than just two people, accepted the message. Became a Sabbath keeping church. That's, to me, that's someone who stumbled, I'm not going to do that again, that kind of hurt, who stumbled across the truth and recognized it as treasure. But this second parable in 45 and 46, this is a merchant who's seeking, seeking beautiful pearls, 
who when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is, this is someone uh, who is, is seeking out truth, who is seeking out Christ, who, who has become unsatisfied with the whatever uh, minimal life that they might have and is seeking complete surrender. Of course, we know the, the pearl of, of great price is Christ, His perfect character, uh, His loving character. But this parable also perfectly represents Christ seeking out us. Because there is no, there's no greater joy in heaven than when one of us fallen human beings accepts the blood of Jesus. There's nothing, nothing of greater value in the sight of heaven. Sometimes our faith feels weak, doesn't it? Sometimes we just feel like, man. I mean, I mean, have, have you, have you ever been there where you feel like one day you're just, man, you're riding high on the mountain of faith. You are connected with God. And then the next day, you're like, what happened? What happened to me? I mean, really? I feel, I feel so disconnected. How, am I no longer a child of God? Uh, I, surely I couldn't, I, I couldn't be worthy of the love of Jesus if I've fallen so far from faith, if my faith has become so weak. Thinking about Elijah. Now, Elijah, he was a hero of faith. Let's read a little bit about Elijah. Let's read in 1 Kings chapter 19. Up to this point, and you can read about this in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18, we know what happened. God had caused a, a, a drought to come upon Israel because they were worshiping other idols. They had turned away from God. And through this drought, you know, King Ahab's been really mad looking for, looking for Elijah. And Elijah, God has led him to a widow uh, of Zarephath and, and uh, where Elijah is being taken care of. Before that, he's taken care of by ravens, right? So God has been with Elijah, taking care of Elijah, supplying his every want and his every need. So God tells Elijah, it's time to go back. It's time to go back and see King Ahab. So Elijah goes back and he says, get everybody together. We're fixing to see who the true God is. I'm going to build an altar. The priests of Baal can build their altar. And whichever one, whichever one gets set on fire is going to be the true God. So, of course, the priests of Baal, they run around their altar, cutting their, cutting themselves, hollering at Baal. Elijah's mocking them, saying, maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's on a journey. And nothing happens. But when Elijah, he pours this, how many, how many buckets of water, how many big tubs of water did he pour on that? Fire came down from God and devoured the altar, the sacrifice, the wood, and the water. Nothing was left. 
What an amazing sight that must have been. I've heard some people say, what about them Israelites? I mean, they walked through the Red Sea. They seen the water piled up and walked through the middle of it. And then not long after, what in the world happened? They was worshiping a golden calf. If I would have seen the Red Sea split like that, uh, I don't think I would have lost faith so quickly. Now, I've been tempted to think, oh yeah, that's, I'm with you. But look at Elijah. Right after Elijah has seen a fire come down from God, let's read what happens. In chapter 19, and Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, Elijah arose, and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Take my life. Someone... Are you are you reading this? He's ready to give it up. He's ready to pass on. He said, this life's not worth living anymore. This is a hero of faith. So does that mean that we're cast off if those feelings ever come upon us? No. No. There's often times when when the uh, troubles of this life are going to overtake us and uh, discourage us. And that is the time when our trials are going to do one of two things. Our trials are either going to drive us away from God and make us believe that He is not the caring, loving, heavenly Father that we thought He was. Or it's going to drive us to Jesus. We're going to cling to His promises. We're going to grow closer to Him. We're going to hold tight onto Him like He's holding tight onto us. Then, as He lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched Him and said to Him, Arise and eat. Then He looked, and there by His head was a cake baked on coals in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. Whose journey was this? Was this? Whose journey was it? Was this God's journey for Elijah? Was this Elijah's journey? This was Elijah's journey. Can you imagine? Now, if Elijah would have stood firm, God had led him 
in the path to take when Jezebel was after him the first time. He had not led him in this direction. Can you imagine the the revival and reformation that could have taken place if Elijah would have stood firm and said, the God who took care of me for these past three years, the God who just brought fire down from heaven and devoured an altar, the God who just ended this drought and poured rain out all over the countryside is going to preserve me. And judgment, was judgment brought on Jezebel? Yes, judgment was brought on Jezebel. But if that judgment would have, that judgment could have been, I believe, brought much sooner if Elijah would have stood fast and stood firm. And imagine the revival that could have taken place when King Ahab saw what happened. Even more so with Jezebel and the Israelites saw the judgment that would have taken place on Jezebel. Elijah, he didn't stand firm. He ran away. He took off. He's scared for his life. He's running on whose path? His path. Elijah's path. Is God still taking care of him? Yeah. God sent an angel to feed him. God's still with him. Even though Elijah, he's, he's, off doing his own thing and his, although however weak his faith may be, God still, what a loving, gracious, merciful God that we serve. So he arose. In verse eight, so he arose and ate and drank and he went in, in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there, in verse 9, he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is, this is how we know. This was not God's journey for Elijah. This is Elijah's journey. So what are you doing here, Elijah? And though, though Elijah had a a weak spot in his faith, God still took him to heaven without death. Him being the example of those who are going to heaven without dying. And Moses being resurrected from the dead and taken to heaven being illustrating those who are going to be resurrected and taken to heaven, both at the last day. What a God. What an amazing God. What a merciful God. Who is, who is with us in our faith, however weak it may seem sometimes. Uh, no matter how, even, even through our depression, even through our, our, our times of sorrow. Has anybody here ever seen a picture of the Dead Sea? It's a, it's a desert place, ain't it? It's just, it's an interesting place. The Dead Sea is about 40, don't quote me on this, 47 miles long, 
nine miles wide. And it has six million tons of water running into it from the Jordan River alone. Six million tons of water a day. Now, with water input like this, you would think there's got to be an output somewhere, right? That's logical, right? Or there's going to be a flood, water rising. Guess what? The Dead Sea does not rise at all. Geologists used to think that, man, there's there's got to be a chasm. There's got to be a big hole in the bottom of the Dead Sea that, that the water is just pouring into, into the center of the earth. But there was a lieutenant, uh, an American Lieutenant Lynch, who sounded every bit of the Dead Sea and disproved that theory. So there's no hole. Water's not going anywhere. The fact is, is because the the Dead Sea is in this desert place, it's scorching hot. Life, it, it seems lifeless. It is so hot that the evaporation exceeds the amount of water that's going in. Now, this is why it's seven times saltier than the ocean. And you can bathe, swim, do whatever you want. I don't, I don't know why you'd want to bathe in it. I got in, uh, every time we got in the ocean last year, when we went to Florida, I had to take a bath when I got out because it's, ugh, salty, terrible. Anyway, I don't know why you'd want to bathe in it, but if you get in it, you can't sink. And there was a Roman, there was a Roman general, I think I've got his name, Vespasian. This pacing. Uh, and, and it's not only because of the salt, but it's got a super high mineral content is why you can't sink. But, but he had heard of this fact that you can't, you can't sink. You can't drown in the Dead Sea. So you know what he did? He took some of his slaves, he tied them up and threw them in the Dead Sea. Hands and feet tied. Guess what? They floated. And there is so much, there's so much mineral content. Uh, you ever heard of potash? Potash, am I saying that correctly? It's a, it, potash, it's like a, it's used for an explosive and it's used for a, uh, fertilizer. There's, they say there's enough potash in the Dead Sea to supply the world's need of fertilizer for 2,000 years. There's a lot of chemicals there that is worth a lot of money. Uh, the total amount of the chemicals that are in the Dead Sea is 1270000000000 dollars. So there's the Dead Sea is worth more than all the exporting that Israel does of anything else. All it surpasses everything in a place that seems so outwardly lifeless but is so incredibly valuable how is this how could that be i don't know about you but sometimes life can feel like a desert yeah it can feel like there's just no life here. Life is not worth living. 
I am worthless. But first Peter, first Peter one, verses eighteen or nineteen, tells us what what are we worth? No matter how dry, no matter how terrible life seems, no matter how faithless we we may feel that we have been, no matter no matter how far we've taken our own journey. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. You are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. The precious blood of Christ. That's what we're worth. More than silver. More than gold. More than one trillion two hundred and seventy billion the precious blood of Christ Hebrews 12 verse 2 says fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God the joy set before him what was that joy can anybody tell me my soul, Jim, that's what it was. That was his joy. Isaiah fifty three eleven tells us, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. What's the light of life to Christ? The light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus is satisfied brothers and sisters with us God is satisfied with the blood of his own son being paid for you for me that's how much he thinks we're worth to him we are the precious pearl to us Jesus is the precious pearl so Friends, don't let life ever get you down. We've got some wonderful examples of uh, some heroes of faith who carried on, who saw their value that God placed upon them so we can see the value that God's placed upon us in the blood of His own Son. Gracious Lord, what a wonder it is to know that you do love us. What a wonder it is to know that that one day soon, just like Elijah, you're going to take us to heaven one day resurrected or, or here alive, one or the other. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for finishing the work. Thank you for being the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for uh, your mercy towards us and we pray that we continue to stand firm for you and continue to stand stand on the path that you have set before us Uh, let us keep our eyes fixed on jesus we love you lord and continue with us throughout the rest of this week we love you we praise you we thank you in jesus name amen